a lot of hay could be made if we maybe if we want to start some kind of podcast beef with those guys. Um, you know, could bump up our numbers a bit. Hello and welcome to Dull Capital. My name's Ben. My name's Jacob. And on this show, we'll be talking about party democracy, the Greens, and being involved in political parties. We're from Canberra. We're interested in class politics, and this is our first episode. And stick with us, um, Jacob. The interesting things going on with this particular topic recently in local Australian politics. What's happening? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, what we're going to be talking about in this episode is uh, the Australian Greens. Um, so, basically, what they've got at the moment is a pretty dismal system of electing their um, parliamentary leader, where the parliamentary caucus, which consists of usually about ten or eleven people. Um, take a vote and decide on their uh, little lonesomes. Uh, and what they're looking at is either moving to a 50-50 system where that caucus's vote is balanced by a membership vote or a full-on democratic one-member, one-vote system, which is what we really like to see. Um, so at the moment, they're polling their membership and the membership needs, I believe it's a uh, super majority of uh, 66% in order to uh, change their constitution. So stay with us on Dole Capital. Enjoy the show. And we're at a moment where sort of all, all contradictions are made. Right? Right. Right. The crisis of contemporary capitalism find ourselves in this week in class politics. Classic fucking boomer. Old new left. Maintaining the relations of neoliberalism. Dole Capital. Dole Capital. Dole Capital. Dole Capital. Dole Capital. Ideas and international, but we're from cameras. So I might just jump into that. I might start Dole. with... Um, so uh, reading some of this piece, this uh, Guardian piece, by uh, I want to get your reaction, your live reaction to this. Um, <laughs> it's op-ed by uh, Bob Brown. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Please read me a little because I haven't read it. Yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to. Um, here we go. So, in the news, history's moving, but it's moving inside the Greens Party as well. Yep. Um, so we've got. A plebiscite, membership plebiscite coming up in the um, Australian Greens Party um, over the way their leadership, uh, parliamentary leadership is elected. Uh, the current system is that only their party room votes. It's, it's like, what, 10 or 11 people? Um, yes. And that's how they decide their party leader. Uh, and there's been a big push by an organisation called Greens for Democratic Leadership, G4DL, who are pushing for a one member, one vote style of leadership election. Uh, today, uh, that is today, the, 17th, sorry, the 11th of April, 2020, um, we had the spectacle of Bob Brown, founder of the party, uh, and Christine Milne and uh, Richard Dindatale, recent leaders, uh, writing in The Guardian, um, arguing against the democratisation of party leadership elections. So I'm just going to read a bit, a bit from this. Uh, As former Greens leaders, we ask members not to shut, down, shut the party room out of leadership votes. History shows that political parties can make decisions in haste that are fatal to their future. One only needs to look at democracies around the world right now to see the consequences of such decisions. From Bob Brown to Christine Milne to Richard Natale to Adam Bant, the Greens party room has, for over the last 15 years, successfully passed on the baton of leadership. That is why members of the Australian Greens need to take next week's vote on how the party selects its leaders very seriously. From next week, members of the Australian Greens will be asked to choose from three options. 
in a, in a uh, party-wide plebiscite, uh, sticking with the current arrangements for selecting the parliamentary leader through a vote of MPs in the party room. Um, second option, uh, providing members and MPs a 50-50 say over the leader. Um, so just to interject, that would be equivalent to the current ALP system. Uh, or thirdly, providing for a member's vote and excluding the party room from having a say. And I would, by the way, just contest that um, that final point, the idea that it would exclude the party room from having a say. Many in the Greens make the strong argument that, quote, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Others believe members should have a role in electing a leader. As the, as the three former le leaders of the Australian Greens, we all agree on one thing. Excluding MPs from having a say on who is elected to lead their team is a recipe for dysfunction. That is why we don't support the one member, one vote model being proposed as an option in ne next week's plebiscite. Our MPs vote with each other, work with each other on a daily basis and know intimately the strengths and weaknesses of their colleagues. They are best placed to know who has the leadership qualities the team needs. Often these attributes like collaboration and teamwork and the ability to develop strong and trusting relationships are not obvious to the public. In a party room that makes decisions by consensus, this is all the more important, as is the MPs support for their leader in parliament, in the media and in public. Removing the say of MPs is a bad idea. We have seen it in action with disastrous consequences. In the last decade of the Australian Democrats, with the ability to, of members to dismiss and appoint leaders, they cycled through six leaders. The membership and parliamentarians were often in conflict over who should lead the party, lead the party a significant factor in the demise of the Democrats. We can't go down that path. We need to keep a strong and united team of Greens MPs working together with the members and supporters of the party on the big issues facing Australia whether it's the current pandemic, the economic recession, or the climate uh, and extinction crises. The loudest advocates of, for removing the role of MPs in electing our leader come from states where there is no parliamentary leader, let alone a model for electing one. Those advocates should get their own houses in order and determine the process for electing leaders in their own home states before changing the federal party's rules, which have worked so well. People who can't vote for the status quo because they believe that members should have a role in the election of a of parliamentary leader can support the 50-50 option. Importantly, neither the status quo nor the 50-50 option disenfranchises the members who pre-selected our MPs or the voters who vote for them. Greens MPs are able to advance the agenda of our party and its members by working together and trusting each other. Denying our MPs genuine say in who becomes the leader will undermine their ability to work as a team and risks creating division. That division would be a significant setback to the Greens' proven ability to progress the social and environmental policies where the big parties fail. As Greens, we have a responsibility to ensure our fantastic parliamentary team, led by Adam Bant, who by the way, is not a signatory to this letter, is in the strongest possible position to fight for the future of our country and the planet. In the coming weeks, Greens members have the opportunity to vote to keep that team strong rather than undermining it by removing the party room's say in choosing its leader. Signed by Bob Brown, Christine Milne, and Ricky Di Natale, former, former leaders of the Australian Greens. Wow. So let me just get your initial reaction to that. Uh, yeah, well, it's Ben here, and you are listening to Doe Capital, Class Politics from Canberra with Ben and Jacob. Um, that, that, is a, that is, well, it's interesting. On the one hand, it's gobsmacking. On the other hand, it's not really surprising. It's actually representation of consistently of those three people's views on, on the idea of um, party democracy for, for a long time. Um, the anti-democracy stuff's really quite repugnant, uh, mm. really. But particularly for, um, 
a progressive organisation like that. But but I, I think people shouldn't really be surprised that that kind of well-meaning um, technocrat or you know educated person off to to represent you in terms of what you identified as you know tick a box what your values are. Uh, and they're not actually um, being accountable to you <laughs> yeah. is something that's that's dominated uh, the, the the political history of Australia for a long time. So um, it is fascinating to see how um, this has played out with people like Milne and um, interesting with Natalie being thrown in there and Brown. Brown and, and Milne have got history with mm. um, going public uh, around their um, not getting their own way or, or, or the like. Um, it is an interesting political culture that probably needs to, to change, I would have thought. And, and really, like, isn't it really an internal debate for that organisation? Like, mm. it obviously has ramifications for how that party relates to the world and, and it relates to, to um, trying to deliver its, its policies and the like. And we have, you know, um, it's not a new debate that manifestation of a push from below for more democracy we've seen that in other social democratic as well as um well socialist and other progressive organizations around the world um mm. and it's been i mean particularly i mean the classic example i mean i guess the penultimate example we've seen recently is the campaign of bernie sanders to actually uh, run for president and running on a, a very uh, left-wing platform. That's been been the one thing to sort of sh- shake up an institution. Uh, that is the Democratic Party, which is basically a state um, institution. Mm. I, I should not mistake the idea that it's a mass party um, thing. You don't pay membership dues to below them belong to the, mem- the Democrats. You you um, identify with a, an organisation that's sort of semi-state-run. Um, the closest stuff we've seen and the other things that we've seen is the Labor Party in the UK, which has had this massive democratisation. That's going to be interesting with, um, sadly, the defeat of the, the left and uh, a more, um, what would you call it, a more conservative leader, um, Sir Kerr, recently winning the membership ballot. Uh, and in Australia, we, we've seen moves by various state branches in the, uh, the ALP to open it up for more democracy and for um, really simple things like uh, enabling members to actually vote and pre-select their candidates in the Senate. I know, for example, the ACT is one of the few that actually allows members to do that. Whereas uh, across the border in New South Wales, it's a, um, well, it's run by competing oligarchies inside an oligarchy that claims to be a, a political party. Um, yeah, it's it's a byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism, I think, is these organisations that aren't fit for purpose in a world of mass communications where we can use social media and we can find different ways to, to get information out a lot more quickly. Um, whereas we've got organizations that are still very much structured and operate very much like a 19th century letter writing society. And well, I know on, that's, no, yeah. on that exactly. Like one of the things that stands out to me about this op-ed is yeah. the like corporate conception of how the parliamentary party or their, their caucus should function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, in that it's, it's about, you know, and it's, where's, where's the, the, the particular phrases that are like, um, our MPs work with each other on a daily basis and know intimately the strengths and weaknesses of their colleagues. <laughs> They're best placed to know who has the leadership qualities the team needs, attributes yeah. like collaboration, 
and teamwork, you know, <laughs> different things, definitely. Uh, uh, the ability to develop strong and trusting relationships, a third thing that is definitely not the same thing as the first two things, uh, you know, like, but it's like managerial speak, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that is, I think, particularly the influence of Milne and Sinatali, I would say. Mm sort of roughly tracking i think speaking as a, a total non-expert in the greens own internal politics but the sense that i get is that like roughly tracking with the sort of two political camps is also a class divide between a kind of yeah. this environmentalist uh comfortable bourgeois constituency yeah and a you know um, a sort of socialist faction on the other side which is obviously as most people know, like concentrated in New South Wales. Yeah, that that, that is. Um, they've had that contradiction, and, and they've had a couple couple of public big public spats over the last ten years, um, particularly the New South Wales um, bunch. And the New South Wales war has sort of gone gone um, national. Mm. Uh, I know a little bit about them, having known and being good friends with people who have been part of that that organisation and and the like. Um, it is interesting in terms of the from my experience oh, back in the nineties, you. The, the Greens were obsessed with uh, consensus politics was, was one of the, the de sort of defining things. And I remember as a young socialist, um, we would, uh, yeah, just have these very bizarre, long arguments, serious arguments, because we we're all very serious at university, maybe quite, you know, which is all good. That's fine. It's, it's the things we used to sort of care about that probably, you know, a couple of years later, you really work out that really wasn't that important at all, really, you know, in terms of splitting the hairs. But the... Consensus politics versus the idea of um, uh, voting on a decision. And it has been interesting that from my experience over the years, learning and listening to people from there, that they've gotten to a point now that they've actually had turned into a, a, a mass political party, if you like. Mm. Not a mass party, how we mean like a mass working class party, but we're talking about a serious national organisation. It has members everywhere. It's got infrastructure. And it has people who vote for policy, and, and surprise, not 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 surprisingly, people actually expect their representatives to behave uh, in certain ways. And also, we are talking about an organisation saying that in the last what a number of federal elections have gone over a million primary votes. Right now, if we lived in a proportional representational system, um, uh, the their electoral uh, outcomes would be a lot more different for the the Greens. That we have a lot more power, but at the moment um, they don't. They they still only have one house in the lower house in the lower one seat in the lower house and they've got a number in the senate um it, it is kind of on one hand you maybe it's growing pains on the other hand it might meet the the, the death knell of the organization in terms of uh finding itself going the way of, of the democrats which they they do warn their uh members of mm. in a patronizing way but i would have thought if you were going to be pre-selecting candidates to your party to go and represent you in parliament one of your credentials would be that you'd be looking for and asking them is, well, wanting to know is, well, what are their credentials with working with other people? Yeah. And have they been around the tracks and worked with the, with the people in the organisation for some yeah. time? Do they have relationships with other people in your organisation? Like, you know, that, those sort of things are already there. That, that should, that's just a given. Cutting the membership out of actually uh, voting for, for who's going to be the leader is, is just sort of, um, yeah, a bit, bit silly. We are, we are lucky in Australia that at least the, the Labor Party, for example, in this country, um, that we don't have uh, the, the sham that has been um, uh, not having mandatory selection in the UK or, or what uh, we call it. Yeah. Now, we do have, I mean, the fact is, like, 
we do have a guided democracy in the AOP where um, we do have pre-selection. Um, ideally, should happen, and it should happen all the time. And I believe, firmly believe in the idea of mandatory re-selection re or mandatory pre-selection. I think we mm. should have pre-selections every time. Mm. But un unfortunately, the way the um, the party has gone federally is that uh, the federal executive is able to intervene and parachute candidates in and things like that. Yeah, there might be some sort of bizarre reason why, like, I don't know, Ken has died or whatever. You know, you can probably say contingencies, but it has been used by the national executive and depending on the groupings or whatever to actually impose particular candidates. Uh, we saw that quite spectacularly um, uh, pre-selection, the most recent pre-selection for the new seat of um, redistributed seat of Canberra. Uh, which saw us, um, well, there was Canberra. Yeah. Uh, Bean was the other. Yeah, Bean. Yeah, yeah, Bean. I'm thinking the one in Bean where a uh, former uh, uh, official from um, oh, Professionals Australia, uh, used to be called a PESMA. Uh, anyway, long time sort of, you know, uh, movement shaker for the right of the party, um, used his family and, uh, you know, factional <laughs> They've been around for a long time, obviously had plenty of links and stuff. But he just happened to have lots of support from a very large grouping in the right uh, in the national executive. And they used their power and influence to quash the decision of the ACT Labor's um, conference, which was to allow a candidate to run for pre-selection um, who wasn't able to meet her credentials, like uh, that credentialing being that she needed to have attended three meetings in a mm. or three arbitrary stuff. Yeah. yeah. So what that meant was, is that um, there was arguably part of that Barney was there was arguably a, a female candidate from the, you know, from the right of politics, the right of the LP that um, probably would have had a bit of a good chance of knocking over um uh, well, you know, David Smith is the the Senate, the Senate or the MP there, mm. but you know, they intervene from above. So, so what I'm sort of, you know, that example there is like, it's far from, you know, it's not yep. rosy democracy we're dealing with. Yeah, um, no. pre-selection um, is not an entirely, like I said, guided, guided democracy, yeah, democracy yeah, with a, a um, with a hand holding. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, you mentioned the Democrat, uh, the Democrats, the Australian Democrats, that is, um, which for those who don't know, were a quite sizable third party, which uh, well, their heyday would have been like what the mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah, mid nineties. They yeah. they they did. Um, there are things you can kind of draw uh, long bows around talking mm. about them and the Greens in terms of parliamentary politics. But, mm, mm. The but they were sort of a centre-left liberal party, right? Yeah, centre-liberal. Like, yeah. basically, um, you would actually call them a liberal party, really. Mm. Effectively, in terms of... They, there was a period of time where they very deliberately tacked themselves. They were, they were always very much on the liberal sort of um, uh, wing of individual freedom and, and that sort mm. of stuff of being progressive around, um, you know. Yeah, small L liberal for anyone confused. And all that sort of stuff. But at the end yeah. of the day, we, they, you know, they weren't um, definitely not socialists at all. But no. in the 90s, they quite deliberately um, uh, framed themselves and put themselves on the on the left of labour of uh, a number of, of uh, issues. Uh, very opportunist in that sort of sense. Like, so uh, free education was, was something that they were able to run on. Uh, they also ran... Um, I mean, no, it was free education. They were, they were, free education was really the, the, one of the key 
planks, but there was a number of other ones where they sort of tacked themselves to the, the labour on. Um, we are talking uh, about union deregistration. Uh, yeah, look, no, 98, they, they didn't agree to that. No, yeah, okay. they, actually, yeah. they, they still, you know, they weren't silly to, to go and back that one. They, they mm. still, and they were quite, quite happy to still vote from, from Labor. Mm. Like, from Labor, as well as at the same time, they uh, also tried to appeal to, to Liberal voters. I think the more interesting thing with the, the Greens, I mean, the, the Democrats couldn't survive in the end because the, I guess the centre of politics... In, in history, it, it consolidated, right? It, the yeah, centre consolidated uh, around 2000 and they kind of yeah. were wiped out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not, I, don't, I don't think that the picture that's being painted in this op-ed by um, Bob Brown et al. Um, is no. quite accurate. What they say about the Democrats here is removing the say of MPs is a bad idea. We've seen it in, actions with, in, in action with disastrous consequences. In the last decade of, Austra- of the Australian Democrats, with the ability of members to dismiss and appoint leaders, they cycled through six leaders. The membership and parliamentarians were often in conflict over who should lead the party, a significant factor in the demise of the Democrats. So what they're suggesting here is that uh, democratic election of leaders uh, will inevitably lead to total annihilation. (laughs) And I just note also that... uh, that uh, Andrew Bartlett, former leader and deputy leader of the Democrats, uh, was quite recently an Australian senator on behalf of the Greens yeah. when he filled the casual vacancy for Larissa Waters for two years or so. Yeah. 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 And yeah, also, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. By the, and yeah, just to add, um, I've just noticed uh, today, Andrew Bartlett's been uh, on Twitter talking a lot about this um, democracy push. And yeah. um, for all of their um, sort of... Um, coming and hiring over uh, the fate of the Democrats. Andrew Bartlett, former Democrat, current Green, says when asked, are you supporting 50-50 or one member, one vote? Says, I very much prefer one member, one vote. I really can't see much benefit from the hybrid option. It'd be like having an indicative ballot of members while leaving the real decision, decision-making power with the MPs, which I think is pretty spot on. Yep. Yep. I mean, look, and, and what he's describing is actually is exactly what happened uh, in the last Labor leadership election uh, before uh, the last election, where yep. the membership, uh, in its infinite wisdom, <laughs> preferred uh, uh, Anthony Albanese as its 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 favourite candidate, um, and the uh, caucus selected Bill Shorten regardless, and ultimately yep. made the decision. Yeah, and I mean, I guess on that, and you're know, listening to Dull Capital, that was mm. that was really uh, a fascinating time with Labor's defeat um, in uh, 2013. That push that had been going on for some time for more democracy in the ALP, uh, and that you know settling on this 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 weird hybrid, which is literally has I mean, Butler's absolutely right. This is basically you know um, a litmus, litmus test of where the membership's at. And then having the whole, um, I think it's obscene, really. This is continuing this basically um, uh, anti-democratic, authoritarian view that somehow uh, those that gain pre-selection and find themselves particularly in safe seats or whatever um, have a God-given right to, um, <laughs> and I, it, they, they, they've what is it? They are the only holders of wisdom. They are well, the only look, holders. Well, look, yeah. Well, it's like, for one thing, it's completely insulting to their own membership. 
the idea that well, they that, that, that like the um because I mean like the grand membership is drawn from the professional class almost in, like mostly right um yeah and so they're telling those people uh, that we don't trust you to be able to identify the characteristics of leadership teamwork and collaboration <laughs> like yeah it's yeah. so insulting <laughs> yeah. Now the the labor example as well. I mean, that was the the weird thing. Rudd sort of imposed. Rudd thought he mm. would be able to use that for his own benefit. The former um, uh, labor um, prime minister, and oddly enough, what he did was he, he at least part of that accident of history, if you like, was he was able to use his um, uh, capital to to get him that that change. But the 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 one thing that's remained is at least there's been some continuity in terms of who has been the leader of of the federal ALP parliamentary party right but i just still remember the short and albanese thing the first time around and then there was, there was something quite obscene particularly like when i opened the act uh the fact that we had three uh there was only one now one senator the ALP senator at the time uh, voted the way that she, as best we know, we, we're pretty sure that Katie Gallagher, um, you know, followed the views of all the people that actually pre-selected her, uh, which was to support Albanese. Uh, but we know for a fact, Gay Brodman was one. She was um, the head of the seat of Canberra. It's called Bean now. And we also had, uh, oh, Miss, uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Oh, yeah, Andrew yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was going to say, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there you had this sort of bizarre thing where you got Andrew Lee, and Brotman, we know they voted for Shorten in that mm. in that ballot, right? But they're the MPs. Mm. But we had the perverse thing where you had like an overwhelmingly, you know, op- you know, more than that was overwhelming. Very large majority of ALP members in the ACT uh, turn out to vote for Albanese, so they voted against the people that actually pre-selected them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an example of why that 50-50 thing is just rubbish. It's just yep. like, well, if you get a position like that, just open to the membership and we're not stupid and yep. people can run on their own credentials of whether or not they're able to work with other people or play nice or I'm not a psychopath. But, um, you know, um, and a level of accountability, is, uh, I think, is the, the crucial thing. This idea that we should have um, people through accidents of history or bureaucratic structure become our leaders is just rubbish. Mm. Um, but that's my take on, on yeah. Stuff. I'd also just just note like I I find that this um it, it reoccurs a few times in the first half of the piece, this um insistence that to switch to a one member one vote type of election would be to disenfranchise the parliamentary members. Oh. They say it a couple of times, and I mean it's bullshit. I mean. One member, one vote means one member, one vote. If you're a you're a parliamentary yeah. member, that means you get one vote, one vote. That's, that's um, right. you get yeah. like everyone else. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I saw someone today saying that they had worked it out, and I think under the fifty-fifty system, in that case, your parliamentarians, their vote would be counting for something along the lines of one thousand five hundred membership votes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you when you uh, when you equal it all out, so yeah. how is that democratic? No, that's that's right, and we we did have that uh, the ALP um, in in 2013 um, had that. I think some of there was a, at the time there was a rule of thumb that was basically like one MP's vote um, was like almost like the equivalent of um, seven thousand members or something stupid. Mm. Like it was up there with some of the sort of weird, you know, very authoritarian, anti-democratic stuff you see in that institution in the US, um, the Democratic Party over there. 
Um, that's, I mean, it is fascinating that, that that process is going on. I do remember someone uh, mentioning to me um, a couple of months back um, that they were going to be looking to, to have a fight and it was probably going to get rather ugly about um, even more democracy in the party. Mm. There's great irony that um, I mentioned before, the whole consensus stuff. We're talking about uh, a political organisation that grew out of um, uh, extra parliamentary uh, activism um, that's kind of like the Germans in the way of having that sort of split between the activists and those, you know, the ones that being parliamentarians, but it really has changed into something else now because we have that experience with the Democrats and, and where they found themselves now in terms of their political um, trajectory. But it is something quite with great irony, something that went from this sort of, in some ways, consensus politics is the ultimate. It sounds, it can sound like the ultimate in terms of, you know, um, ultimate democracy, right? In terms of how they'd practically do things. Mm. What we, that actual culture, culture of actually trying to impose that on an organization. Now, we're talking about an idea of people in a room talking, talking, talking until you actually get a consensus position yeah. rather than this um, idea in social democratic or socialist parties or whatever, which is basically we'll have peace speakers for, speakers against, and then we'll have a vote. Thanks very much, you know, like, yeah, there'll be debate and then we'll make a decision, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the consensus one had some appeal, particularly, I think, historically, people relating to. Um, well, you know, there were other un, un, still rather un, undemocratic things that had gone on in Labor and, you know, the old Communist Party used to be around and things like that. They're all gone, but, you know, historical artifact now. But it's interesting consensus politics now moving. We've got people who, who were around that sort of idea of consensus and um, hearing all views and all the rest of it now turning around and saying, oh, no, I actually can't possibly have uh, members that have a vote uh, mm. for, for who their leader is. That's that's nuts. Um, that just sort of shows you the dead end of the consensus politics. Because you actually, as an activist, you would actually come running into the problem of people would talk about consensus. Consensus is all nice. But the problem is about consensus is, yeah, at some point you have to just make a decision. But not only that, you can't keep carrying on with this idea of having a conversation that goes on for fucking ever, right? Uh, that ends up being dominated by those that have the loudest voices. But more importantly those that have the time to remain in that room to keep arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing until they get their way because other people have left the room because they don't have the time. They don't, it's, it's actually a thoroughly anti-democratic anti um, process. So I find it interesting that people used to be proponents of that stuff or um, they're advocating this idea of, um, uh, well, basically being anti one, one member, one member, one vote. Mm. Mm. Still continuing this uh, rather undemocratic practice, which is this elitist view. You know, those that have the skills and ideas and the determination somehow have the God-given right to, to make all the decisions. Well, I think why don't we close out this uh, little segment with yeah. a blast from the past, going back to 2017. All right. Uh, Tony Abbott's true democracy Liberal Party reform motion passes after voting glitch. Uh, so, uh, you will recall that, uh, one of the great champions of Australian democracy, Tony Abbott, uh, one of his sort of final acts, I think one of his, before he lost his seat, uh, to, what was his Alex Segal, like a professional, like a swimmer or, oh, or doctor, wasn't it? I can't remember. Um, no, Karen Phelps, uh, Karen won Phelps, the Karen, other one. Yeah. She, she won the other seat. Ray May, yeah. yep. No, but um, Tony lost well, his seat to Zali Stegel, who's like a who's a sports person. 
All right. Of some kind. Uh, anyway, so uh, this is the story. This is an SBS story from uh, July 2017. Conservative liberals in New South Wales have dealt a blow to the dominance of moderates, including Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, by endorsing reforms championed by Tony Abbott. A special party futures convention in Sydney on Sunday backed the so-called Warringah motions, allowing for the first time candidates for state and federal seats and positions on key internal, internal bodies, such as the state executive, to be selected by grassroots member plebiscites. Mr. Abbott has described the reform <laughs> as, quote, true democracy versus the fake democracy proposed by the party's moderate and soft right factions. Wow. Expected sitting MPs would also be open to pre-selection challenge. Mandatory re-selection. Wow. Yep. Former MP Ross Cameron said the uh, vote, uh, and Ross Cameron of uh, um, Sky News' uh, Outsiders program, uh, said the vote on the first motion for the candidate plebiscites was 748 to, 700 to 476, or 61% in favour. While the second motion on elect on executive and other positions was yeah. uh, 769 to 423, or 71%, there was a minor minor hitch at the convention when the elect electronic voting system went down for almost half an hour, which meant the votes of just over 1,200 members had to be cast again. But thank God they did. Let's see what else. A how to vote card issued by the Warringah Motion backers called on members to vote yes on only the two motions and no to the dozens of others on the program, quote, stop the factions, stop the stacking, take control of your party, the card read. So there we go. Thank God, you know, and it's, you know, it's strange times we find ourselves aligned with. Um, it is strange. To, yeah, we've got that example of, of uh, well, <laughs> did, did the Liberal Party collapse? No, no, they're actually, they're, oh, they've got government, don't they? Like, yeah, that's you know. right. Funnily enough, although I will Tell say, um, you know, the story of um, Scott Morrison's particular parachuting into his into the seat of is it Cook? Yeah, um, oh, quite, yeah. quite an amusing one. Um, we'll have to yeah. maybe we'll deal with that another time. But that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, there's there's plenty more things. I, I think that theme of actually talking about democracy and political parties is a really important one. Mm. I mean, some listeners might think, oh, well, you know, it's not really. Uh, you know, is it navel grazing or whatever? So, well, no, I think the reality is that if you want to talk about creating a more democratic um, world, a, a world that's far fairer in terms of its outcomes for, for ordinary people, in terms mm. of having more control and say of your lives, um, democracy is key. And how we go about making changes, well, we should use whatever means that are available to us now. Luckily enough that we have a, a we've got Westminster system in Australia. Yes, it's absolutely flawed. Yes, it's a border and you know, whatever. We can mm. you can talk wax lyrical about it. But there is space there for um, progressive and well particularly for socialists to to and, and revolutionaries or whatever you want to call yourself, um, to actually run and try to push uh, politics and um, encourage people you know, out in the community to go and have more control or even, you know, through parliament change laws that actually help give more power to people and their own autonomy, um, you know, individually and collectively. So how you run a political party is a key part of that. So that's yeah. why we, it's, it is something that we care a lot about, I guess, as socialists is, is talking about party democracy and things like that. Cause it has implications as to. Something, um, yeah. Something that I, that I've realized more recently um, that has been a huge part of my political education um, and something that I would um, also want to communicate to anyone on, who's like a lefty who is like feeling 
um, disenfranchised or disenchanted with um, bourgeois electoral politics is that rather than thinking of it that as, as, as though, you know, electoral politics, you know, simply bankrupt and doesn't work, the way you should think about it is that um, the electoral uh, system, that, that portion of politics, it, it's, it, it cannot, like, exhaust the, po- the possibilities of democracy, you know? Like, yeah. uh, the reason that, uh, you know, voting feels like it doesn't mean anything or is, isn't important yeah. is because all of the important work gets done before Election Day. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, all the arguments, the important arguments are not the arguments between the parties. They're the arguments that have to get played out within the parties before conventions yeah. or within yeah. factions. Yeah. Um, like, there is actually a really rich world of democratic participation. It's imperfect. Yep. It mostly sucks ass, actually. But it's there. And if all you look at, if you're like a young person, sort of like graduating school, going to uni, and kind of like looking at the electoral system and feeling despair, um, you're not seeing the whole picture of kind of the richness of democratic participation that is actually available to you. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point, Jack. I, I think um, the current political situation we find ourselves in Australia now, with um, unionism at its lowest levels, that you know we, we're talking pre twentieth uh, century levels in this country, uh, pre like turn of the century stuff, um, you know, pre nineteen hundreds is what I'm talking about, uh, where we're seeing the, um, uh, I mean, look, even the number of enterprise agreements, like you know that participation of workers and actually sorting out their own um, paying conditions and, and all the sort of all the, the anti-union sort of things available there. Yeah, factors, yeah, fine. But the fact is the, the working class in this country uh, and the organisations that claim to represent it, um, sadly, are really lacking on um, actually the idea of building power in the workplace. Mm. Um, so perversely, we have this rather strange thing, this culture that has uh, continued to grow, uh, which needs to be fundamental, it needs to be consistently challenged, is one of anti-democracy, which is one of refusing to actually understand that you need to organise working people around the issues that they care about in their immediate environment, right? Mm. Before you spend lots of time, energy and resources of members uh, throwing people into parliament, which is mainly the, the obsession with uh, a ridiculous number of unions in this country. It yeah. hasn't delivered anything in the way yeah. of, you know, third party campaign. It doesn't deliver high density. Uh, high density, you know, comes from building power in the workplace. Mm. By building power in the workplace, we're talking about, you know, work health and safety issues. We're talking about uh, using you know, work health and safety laws to, you know, solve problems. You actually mm. having disputes that workers want to see something fixed around a roster, things like yep. that. Um, Stuff that connects, of, connects them to their own work lives yeah. and their experience of the union, yeah. Yeah, and we've got, we've got uh, union bureaucracies uh, in this country that are very much sort of set up this, um, and I'm just going to say it in New South Wales, Newcastle, Sydney, Wollongong. Um, you'd be hard. There's hardly any unions in this country that actually organises or uh, sends their organisers out to organise in regional Australia. Mm. They, they operate on hotlines, um, you know, online. That's nice. Yeah, you can do lots of things on telephone, all the rest of it. But if you don't actually have people there to help coordinate um, things in a regional centre, um, yeah, well, good luck. Um, mm. You're not going to. It's not going to help consolidate building 
And then it's funny, like perversely, they, they'll turn around and talk about building the, the, the membership and the rank of file. They're not interested in that. No, it's very much an extreme guide of democracy. I've seen that. So this is something that um, Godfrey Mose talked about, actually. Uh, so your weekly plug, which is not a segment we've established. I'm just, I'm just I'm dictating it now. Weekly yeah. plug is going to be go and listen to uh, interview, great interview with Godfrey Mose, director of United Workers Union on the podcast Living the Dream. Uh, on which Godfrey Mose talks about uh, how the kind of the union culture for of a lot of unions in Australia is such that the relationship between organisers and rank and file members is kind of non-existent. What you have yeah. is, uh, you know, organisers have this kind of like parish parishioner relationship to the delegates in a workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And have, you know, Mose says something like, he's got a turn of phrase, he says like they, they sit down and have their cups of tea or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the organizer basically never meets face to face with the members. And then yeah. uh, ultimately what you get is organization on the basis of uh, those conversations and not on the direct experiences of the membership. Yeah. No, it's dead right. I mean, um, Godfrey Mose will, you know, we'll talk about it and, and look, you know, yeah, people should definitely check that out from uh, the living the dream um, podcast. Um, interesting stuff going on with the national union of, of workers. Um, that's a you know quite a positive in some ways, but it's positive to hear him say those. Those what you're saying is he's saying I have to listen to it myself because you've the unions have got that. There's lots of trouble going on in that space, and I would think to say to people who are interested in getting more involved in politics or um, might be a bit cynical about you know where 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 they where to look where to be involved. I'd encourage people to um, get involved. Not just um, I think the reality is like. If you're in a workplace uh, and can organise to be in the union, we'll do so. Be, you know, do so and 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 be part of that. But really, in terms of having a voice at the moment, um, uh, being involved in political parties is is one way, and it's a really accessible way to do so. And there are very interesting fights going on in political parties, as we're seeing with the Greens at the moment, and we're also seeing in the ALP. There's there's been a fight going on for some time by pushed by younger people, people um, are much younger than the boomer generation or the old new left that did, did and gave us, uh, delivered us some positive things in their time, but we're currently dealing with their legacy of all the, all the rubbish. Um, there's a space that's open now uh, in political parties. So I think I'd encourage people to be involved, particularly, you know, people with radical politics or socialist politics. There is an opportunity in the ALP and in the Greens to actually go and um, be involved and have an audience that's bigger than standing on street corners and selling a newspaper. Um, Particularly in the ACT, I will say um, that as a, as a leftist um, involved in the, uh, in the ALP in the ACT, my impression, uh, especially I've got a mate who lives in Queanbeyan, for example, uh, the consequence of that being that he um, has to be in the New South Wales party and has had many frustrations. My impression is that um, the ACT does very, very well in comparison to some of the other state branches. As far as uh, democracy and the ability of, you know, radical perspectives to come through to, and to push hard and to come together and be actually effective. Yeah, no, no, I'd, I'd encourage people to, um, you know, we are um, both members of the left and the ALP uh, and the ACT and definitely encourage people to do it. But also, look, I'm agnostic on this stuff. Stuff I don't, I don't think, mm. I just, one way I've found people that uh, are socialist historically that wanted to go and push a particular 
uh, type of politics to, into a, a bigger union, a bigger audience now. It's always struck me like occasionally you might have a, a small news story, which we'll talk about a pre-selection, say with the, the, the conservative part of the world. They might only have like 50 electors, right? Mm. Now, I don't know how they set the rules in terms of who gets a vote. Um, but we have this interesting thing in Canberra now where we have, um, well, as far as I know, we've still managed to maintain uh, one in a 100. Um, was it? Yeah, we have an ALP, one ALP member per 100, um, 100 electors in the ACT, well, you know, uh, voters in the ACT. Mm. It's very, very impressive. Well, we've got a couple mm. of thousand. I can't remember the latest number, but it was a couple of thousand odd um, members now. Was it five? Five thousand members? Was it three or five? I can't remember. It's some yeah. sort of silly number. It shot up after the after the um, yeah. election loss last year. Yeah. And what's interesting is a lot of people have continued and they've made membership on the one hand more open uh, and the other hand a bit more serious in the sense that people pay, most members pay a monthly um, direct deduction, which is a far more sort of serious commitment to, to do that. Um, I keep thinking that like, really, if you want to, if you get sick of decisions being made by, um, you know, the big end of town, although it's a really practical one is like, you just see examples of how uh, friendly undemocratic they are like you know act leaves so they're electing pre-selecting a candidate with 50 50 members determine you know a spot but we also perversely see that in uh, in in late in labor nationally as well and that's something that's wrong so mm. there's a space there people should go to i think it's a really accessible easy thing to do you know you don't have to turn up you don't even have to turn up to a monthly meeting like mm. you know you actually find different avenues and groups to involve in. but also i think the other thing the other thing that's um while there's been some great successes in canberra in terms of um, you know, we pre-select our senators and we, uh, we, we directly elect our, our leadership uh, for the party organisation. We should always be very conscious that there are plenty of people uh, who would rather see it a lot tighter, would be the euphemism they'd use, uh, but would actually rather see less democracy, less control. And let's not, Cherry Lee, you know, let's not, let's not um, sweeten it too much. I mean, the fact is there's always a... Uh, there's the what is it? It's the tyranny of the time servers, and um, yeah, yeah, like yeah. those who've got the time, those who are paid to be there. There's always plenty of them, mm. and those you know, it's the time rich and the those those that are paid there. That sadly, even though we've a, a mass, you know, quite a mass membership, we'll have to look it up and find out. Mm. Um, decisions can be dominated by two very undemocratic cohorts. You know, mm. it's like. It could be retired people or, you know, nothing against young people. Of course, we love young people and, and old, you know, older people. But it's not right to have a, an organisation where... <laughs> yeah, the structures paid... of the organisation mean that different, you know, ways of living or different, like, amounts of free time dictate, like, your, your amount of participation. That's not right. Yeah. 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 I think a classic one, like the board of the ALP and the ACT, a number of times, I don't know, I've sat in the past and all that shit. But, you know, there's nothing quite more perverse. You've got 13, say, 13 people sitting on this body and you're looking around the room and the only one there that wasn't actually there because they were paid to be there by their union or by being a staff, a staffer for a, um, an MLA or a, an MP. Um, who was the guy from the right? But, you know, like that was, you know, that was mainly because he was a particular, you know, super keen, you know, person for, for that particular groupie, but he was between jobs, so to speak, if you like, mm -hmm. yeah. And then they're running the, the board of the organization. It's like, okay, wow. Like, 
that's that's uh, I guess it goes back to that idea of democracy. Like you get in any democratic stuff if people don't participate and uh, there are groups, powers and forces out there would rather make things more and more authoritarian and less and less you know accessible. And we've seen that with the Greens and we sadly we've seen that in Labor. It's a, always a constant and active fight to encourage engagement and participation and making sure that democracy happens. That's right. Okay, so here we go. All right, so for those of you who stuck around, um, here are the results of the leadership um, plebiscite, which uh, came down today, today being the, uh, or yesterday, the um, 12th of May. Um, uh, they had 6,065 people vote, uh, which is, I think, about 40% of their membership. Um, the way that it was conducted is that there were three ballots, um, two of the important ones. They basically put the change options, the one member, one vote and the 50-50 vote system, each separately up against the status quo, right? So the first vote, um, 6,002 votes um, was the first ballot. Um, that Of that, you had 3,721 voted for the one member, one vote system. That's 62%, so just shy of the 66.67% um, that was necessary to change wow. Um, that's the important one. So it's like uh, the second question was for the 50-50 system, right? Um, which is the labor model. That got uh, 3,510 votes. So about 200 fewer. Um, there's a much better mandate, I would say, for the one member one vote system now. Uh, but neither got enough uh, for a constitution changing supermajority which means that the status quo remains despite both change options receiving over 60% of the vote. So, so the, status quo, or the status quo is going to remain. It's going to remain. It looks like. That's, that's, ah. Oh. Yeah. It's a really disappointing yeah. result. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you know, there's going to, it's going to be a good long while, I think, before there's another leadership ballot um, since Adam Vance relatively new as the leader, only a few months. Yeah. There's plenty of time for, um, Greens for Democratic Leadership, which is the main group that's been pushing this, to take this mm. mandate to back to the the members and try to try again. Mm. Um, hopefully, that's what happens. Um, and I think I can speak for both of us when we say we wish them the best of luck. Democracy. Yeah, yeah. We hope to see the same thing happening in our own. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's what happened. What we can take from that, I mean, I guess there's there's two things. I mean, it's it's interesting they managed to corner themselves with too many options mm. which effectively meant that the status quo would win like it, it does kind of vaguely reminded me of the, the sort of silliness that happened with the under the howard government with the uh they they set up a convention about the the republic and having a referendum on the republic and the people at that convention like, it, it was stacked it was always going to be stacked for the most conservative model and the most conservative model being Oh, yeah, a vote of parliamentary members to determine the head of state, yeah? Mm. And so when they went to a referendum, what it meant was it was really easy for the monarchists to, to run an argument of vote no, uh, and they even were able to run on a, a paint themselves um, red by saying, oh, well, you know, I, their slogan was a um, no, say no to a politician's republic. Mm. Uh, and there were people on the left who were equally going, why the hell would I want to vote for a republic if I don't actually get to vote for my head of state? It's that kind of politics, like where you actually literally like, oh, we'll have some consensus and then 
what you end up doing is the most conservative the outcome ends up winning. Um, mm. That's yeah, really disappointing. They've, they've put themselves in that corner, I think. Yeah. Uh, a mm. dog capital, capital, we absolutely hate to see it. It's no good. Um, yeah. So More democracy, the better. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it's not hard to do. You, you do it you, when you vote a lot. It's not a big deal. You just get on with your life, you know. But yeah, well, that, that wraps up that one, doesn't it, Jacob? And I yeah. know we're going to be talking more uh, in our next episode to Matthew Byrne, the former Secretary of the ACT Labor, uh, a long-term uh, yeah, a very long-term Labor socialist and activist uh, who's done some, uh, under his leadership, some very interesting and important things. But, um, Including Max incredible Wilson. success in increasing the membership uh, in the ACT, the Labor, uh, ACT yeah. Labor Party. So, And we'll right. also be discussing uh, one of the other sort of sets of forces that um, mass democratic participation, you know, is up against in mass parties like the Labor Party. So, um, yeah. I'll be really interested. Stay tuned for that one. And so if you enjoyed today, this episode and this chat about, um, well, us talking about Greens and democracy and party democracy, well, it's important, uh, tune into our next next show uh, for an even, well, even more interesting and um, fun chat. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you um, subscribe to or, or listen in again uh, when we get our act together. We're starting out. We want you to participate and be part of that process at Dole Capital. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, have a great week.